European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 15, Focus Issue, Epidemiology and Prevention, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Old and New Enemies, Psychological Stress, Occupational Stress, COVID-19 and a Glimpse of the Future. This focus issue on epidemiology and prevention contains the special article Taking a Stand Against Air Pollution, the Impact on Cardiovascular Disease. A joint opinion from the World Health Federation, American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association and the European Society of Cardiology. Authored by the WHF Air Pollution Expert Group. Air pollution is a major contributor to the global burden of disease, with an estimated 12% of all deaths in 2019. While other estimates exist and each have their uncertainties, all estimates of attributable disease burden are large and high-ranking in comparison to traditional and more widely recognised CVD risk factors. The authors note that although the attention of the world and the global health community specifically is deservedly focused on the COVID-19 pandemic, other determinants of health continue to have large impacts and may also interact with COVID-19. Air pollution is one crucial example. Established evidence from other respiratory viruses and emerging evidence for COVID-19 specifically indicates that air pollution alters respiratory defence mechanisms, leading to worsened infection severity. Air pollution also contributes to comorbidities that are known to worsen outcomes amongst those affected with COVID-19, and air pollution may also enhance infection transmission due to its impact on more frequent coughing. Yet despite the massive disruption of the COVID-19 pandemic, there are reasons for optimism. Broad societal lockdowns have shown us a glimpse of what a future with strong air pollution measures could yield. In a second special article entitled A Call to Action for New Global Approaches to Cardiovascular Disease Drug Solutions, Gemma Figtree from the University of Sydney in St. Leonard's, New South Wales, Australia and colleagues Note that whilst we continue to wrestle with the immense challenge of implementing equitable access to established evidence-based treatments, there remain substantial gaps in our pharmacotherapy armament for common forms of cardiovascular disease, including coronary and peripheral artery disease, heart failure, hypertension and arrhythmia. We need to continue to invest in the development of new approaches for the discovery and rigorous assessment of new therapies. Currently, the time and cost to progress from lead compound stroke product identification to the clinic and the success rate in getting there reduces the incentive for industry to invest, despite the substantial burden of disease and potential size of market. There are tremendous opportunities with improved phenotyping of patients currently batched together in syndromic buckets. Use of advanced imaging and molecular markers may allow stratification of patients in a manner more aligned to biological mechanisms that can, in turn, be targeted by specific approaches developed using high-throughput molecular technologies. Unbiased omic approaches enhance the possibility of discovering completely new mechanisms in such groups. Furthermore, advances in drug discovery platforms and models to study efficacy and toxicity more relevant to the human disease are valuable. Reimagining the relationship between discovery, translation and implementation 
will help reverse the trend away from investment in the cardiovascular space, establishing innovative platforms and approaches across the full spectrum of therapeutic development. The increasing prevalence of ischemic stroke, or IS, can partly be explained by the likewise growing number of patients with chronic kidney disease, or CKD. Risk scores have been developed to identify high-risk patients, allowing for personalised anticoagulation therapy. However, the predictive performance in CKD is unclear. In a clinical research article entitled Validation of Risk Scores for Ischemic Stroke in Atrial Fibrillation Across the Spectrum of Kidney Function, Ipa de Jong from the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands and colleagues sought to validate six commonly used risk scores for IS in atrial fibrillation or AF patients across the spectrum of renal function. About 36,000 subjects with newly diagnosed AF from the SCREAM or Stockholm Creatinine Measurements a healthcare utilisation cohort of Stockholm residents were included. Predictive performance of the AFI, CHADS2, modified CHADS2, CHADS2-VASC, Atria and Garfield AF were evaluated across three strata of kidney function. Normal, EGFR greater than 60 millilitres per minute per 1.73 metres squared, mild, EGFR 30 to 60, and advanced CKD. EGFR less than 30. Performance was assessed with discrimination and calibration. Discrimination was dependent on EGFR. The median C statistic in normal EGFR was 0.75, but decreased to 0.68 and 0.68 for mild and advanced CKD respectively. The modified CHADS2 showed good performance across kidney function strata, both for discrimination see statistic respectively 0.78, 0.73 and 0.74, and calibration. The authors conclude that predictive performance for most risk scores was poor in the clinically most relevant stages of CKD, increasing the risk of misclassification and thus over or under treatment. The modified CHADS2 performed best and consistently across all kidney function groups, and would therefore be preferred for risk estimation in AF patients. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Ben Friedman from the Heart Research Institute in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, and David Brieger from the Concord Repatriation General Hospital in Sydney, Australia. The authors note that risk stratification tools abound in medicine, but most do not find a place in clinical practice. AF risk scores stand out as being among the most widely adopted. The challenge is to complement this utilisation with enhanced predictive accuracy, and the study by de Jong et al, through its examination of score performance in CKD, has provided some insight as to how to achieve this goal. But we don't yet have an ideal AF-related stroke risk stratification tool for clinical decision-making. The role of psychological stress in the etiology of atrial fibrillation, or AF, is unclear. The death of a child is one of the most severe sources of stress. In a clinical research article, Death of a Child and Risk of Atrial Fibrillation, a nationwide cohort study in Sweden. Dang Wei from the Karolinska Institutet in Stockholm, Sweden, and colleagues aim to investigate whether the death of a child 
is associated with an increased risk of AF. The author studied parents with children born between 1973 and 2014 included in the Swedish Medical Birth Register, a population of about 4 million individuals. Information on death of a child, AF, and socio-economic lifestyle and health-related covariates was obtained through linkage to nationwide population and health registers. They examined the link between death of a child and AF risk using Poisson regression. Parents who lost a child had a 15% higher risk of AF than unexposed parents. An increased risk of AF was observed not only if the child died due to cardiovascular causes, but also in case of death due to other natural or unnatural causes. The risk of AF was highest in the first week after loss and remained 10 to 40% elevated over the long term. Wei et al. conclude that the death of a child is associated with a modestly increased risk of AF. The author's finding that an increased risk is observed also after the loss of a child due to unnatural deaths confirms that stress-related mechanisms may be implicated in the development of AF. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Kim Smolderen from Yale University in New Haven, United States. The authors conclude that through a valuable comprehensive national data asset, a potential link between stress and incident atrial fibrillation was demonstrated for the first time in parents who had faced the devastating loss of a child. Assessment of the parents' needs and activating support sources are important priorities when faced with bereavement due to loss of a child, along with an understanding of how we can tailor interventions to individuals in need. They conclude that the research of Wei and colleagues has highlighted the risk parents may face after losing a child, while also exposing evidence gaps that may be filled by mechanistic and efficacy research targeting pathways and interventions to mitigate the identified risk. Leisure time physical activity associates with reduced risk of cardiovascular disease and all-cause mortality, while these relationships for occupational physical activity are unclear. In a clinical research article entitled The Physical Activity Paradox in Cardiovascular Disease and All-Cause Mortality, the Contemporary Copenhagen General Population Study with 104,046 adults. Andreas Holtemann from the National Research Centre for the Working Environment in Copenhagen, Denmark and colleagues tested the hypothesis that leisure time physical activity associates with reduced major adverse cardiovascular events or MACE and all-cause mortality risk, while occupational physical activity associates with increased risks. The authors studied more than 100,000 women and men aged 20 to 100 in the Copenhagen General Population Study, with baseline measurements in 2003 to 2014, and median 10-year follow-up. Both leisure and occupational physical activity were based on self-report with four response categories, compared to low leisure time physical activity, multivariable adjusted for lifestyle, health, living conditions and socio-economic factors, hazard ratios for MACE were 0.86 for moderate, 0.77 for high and 0.85 for very high activity. Corresponding values for higher occupational physical activity 
were 1.04, 1.15 and 1.35 respectively. For all-cause mortality, corresponding hazard ratios for higher leisure time physical activity were 0 0.74, 0 0.59 and 0 0.60 and for higher occupational physical activity 1.06, 1.13 and 1.27 respectively. The authors conclude that higher leisure time physical activity associates with reduced MACE and all-cause mortality risk, while higher occupational physical activity associates with increased risks. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Martin Haller and Melanie Heitkamp from the Technische Universität München in Germany. The authors note that physical exercise performed during leisure time or occupational time is different in character, as leisure time exercise comprises more aerobic endurance exercise, whereas occupational exercise primarily involves repetitive resistance exercise of short bouts and often insufficient recovery time. Moreover, heavy workers may be particularly exposed to psychological factors, e.g. night shifts and environmental stressors such as noise and air pollution, which are less frequent in sedentary jobs, e.g. office work. These stress factors may clearly affect the relationship between occupational physical work and cardiovascular risk factors, e.g. atrial hypertension, increased inflammation, vascular dysfunction, atherosclerosis and cardiovascular events. These factors may also be responsible for excess overall mortality in this group. On March 13, 2020, the Danish authorities imposed extensive nationwide lockdown measures to prevent the spread of the coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19 and reallocated limited healthcare resources. In a clinical research article entitled all-cause mortality and location of death in patients with established cardiovascular disease before, during and after COVID-19 lockdown, a Danish nationwide cohort study. Jawad Butt from the Copenhagen University Hospital in Denmark and colleagues investigated mortality rates, overall and according to location, in patients with established cardiovascular disease before, during and after these lockdown measures. Using Danish nationwide registries, the authors identified a dynamic cohort comprising all Danish citizens with cardiovascular disease, i.e. a history of ischemic heart disease, ischemic stroke, heart failure, atrial fibrillation, peripheral artery disease, alive on January 2, 2019 and 2020 respectively. The cohort enrolling about 700,000 individuals was followed from January 2, 2019 and January 2, 2020 until death or October 16, 15, 2019-2020. The in-hospital mortality rate was significantly lower and out-of-hospital mortality rate significantly higher during and after lockdown, compared with the same period in 2019. In-hospital adjusted incident rate ratio, or IRR, 0.92. Out-of-hospital, IRR, 1.04. These trends were consistent irrespective of sex and age. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Antonio Canata from the King's College Hospital, London, in the United Kingdom. 
Kanata notes that while it appears crucial to continue medical care for at-risk groups, including those with cardiovascular conditions, further research is needed to better understand the full scope of contributory factors to cardiovascular mortality during the COVID-19 pandemic beyond infection rates. This information is essential to determine the best approaches for caring for patients, improving outcomes in extreme conditions, and minimising collateral damage in future outbreaks. Novel analyses, like the elegant one published in this issue of the journal, are needed to welcome and address direct and indirect consequences of the pandemic. However, while comprehensive research will help us better understand the implications for patients with cardiovascular disease, for now, the full effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on cardiovascular disease cannot yet be seen. Only history will reveal the depth of the iceberg. The issue is further complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a manuscript entitled, In-Hospital Resuscitation of COVID-19 Patients is Impeded by Serious Delays, but the problem is obscured by poor time data. John Stewart from Seattle, Washington, USA, comments on the recent publication entitled Cardiac Arrest in COVID-19, Characteristics and Outcomes of In- and Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest, a report from the Swedish Registry for Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation by Pedram Sultanian from the University of Gothenburg in Sweden and colleagues. Sultanian et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.